Listener Production. Will Anderson was supposed to be a journalist. He graduated top of his university class and landed a prestigious gig in Canberra's press gallery. But then fate intervened in the form of a colleague who told him to go and do what he loved. Will Anderson! And lucky for the rest of us, that was comedy. I love that people are excited about that. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie! (laughs) Will is an award-winning stand-up comedian, radio and TV host, writer and podcaster. If you had your time over, you wouldn't call podcasts podcasts. Because it makes them sound dinky. Yeah. Still not a real radio show, is it, your little podcast? You have probably seen him on stage at a comedy festival, heard him waxing lyrical with famous guests on Willosophy, or unpacking the world of bogus advertising on Gruen. The ads wouldn't say it, but they all wanted to show it. Suddenly, every ad had empty streets and, weirdly, some random guy humming. Later in the show, the weekend list. But first... Here's my conversation with Will Anderson as I get the chance to turn the microphone back on him and ask the questions he has asked countless celebrities, comedians and writers over the years. Does the man behind the Willosophy podcast have a life philosophy of his own? Will Anderson, welcome to the weekend briefing. I'm so delighted to have you here, mostly because we're finally turning the tables because I've been interviewed by you before, but we've never done it the other way around. In fact, you've been interviewed by me twice previously. So I do have the unfair advantage in that I've asked you a lot of questions already. So they could be coming back my way. I, uh, I I'll get a really good indication of how much you enjoyed the questions I asked you by the nature of the questions you asked me, I imagine. <laughs> Let's start with the fact that at the end of 2019, you quit your radio career. Then there was this global pandemic business that began. Was that a good career change for you? Well, clearly it wasn't. They say the secret of comedy is timing. And I decided in 2020, I was going to do not one, not two, but three different touring shows and tour all over Australia and then tour all over the world. But I think the old line is, how do you make God laugh? You tell him your plans. Well, I don't really believe in God, but I do believe in the idea of not making many long-term plans anymore. That must have been, though, to pause for a moment, a real blow because for so many in the entertainment industry, you know, 2020 was going to be their year. It was either a breakthrough year or for you a chance to go back to doing what you absolutely loved and touring in a really big way. How do you come back? from that? What's your kind of bounce back approach? Well, certainly it was it was very shocking to comedians in particular, which is my area of expertise. And uh, because, of course, the announcement was made two days before the end of the Adelaide Fringe. I remember it distinctly. It was Friday the 13th when they cancelled oh. the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. For the majority of us, the majority of comedians, the biggest month of our year is the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. More people go and see comedy in that month than pretty much see comedy for the rest of the year combined. And you have over 600 shows by independent artists mostly 
And I think it's most important that you do highlight those who are about to break through, those who are about to go to the next that next level, because that's who I feel for the most. That person who was about to go from a hundred seat venue to a three hundred seat venue. That person who was about to know what it was feeling like to go from a three hundred seat venue to suddenly seeing their face all over the television and the radio. That this would be their career opportunity. This would be that moment where the trajectory that they've worked so hard on in the last three years, five years, 10 years was suddenly going to pay off for them. And for that to have been put on hold for a year, like incredibly you know, tough for those artists. I've heard you be more open with your own political opinions and political views within your comedy, within your podcasts over time. And I wanted to ask about whether or not your approach to your work has changed and maybe we take one example like philosophy or Gruen but over time do you feel like the kinds of people you want to talk to have changed does your approach change do the questions you ask change and have you made a deliberate decision to be more forthright with how you'd like the world to be I I think it's a very interesting question is what I would say. And I don't mean that in the way that sometimes people say that's a very interesting question, which is that they're just padding for time to come up with an answer. I do actually think it's a really fascinating question (laughs) because I'm constantly thinking about my work and who my work is for and what is the best way to do my work. And often that's a real experimentation between the various different things I do. You know, philosophy, I have an attitude to what I'm trying to achieve in philosophy that is very different to the attitude of what I'm trying to achieve on TOEFOP, one of my other podcasts, or on Two Guys, One Cup, our footy podcast. I have very different ideas of what we're trying to achieve, and yet some of those core themes would probably come through both. So, you know, like one of the things that we talk about a lot on philosophy is the idea that life is very hard for everybody, and really the podcast is about that idea of how do you cope with life? What is life about to you? What are your priorities? How have you got through hard times? And funnily enough, on our stupid AFL football podcast, I think what we bring to the genre of sports commentary, even though it's you know a stupid comedy podcast, is when an issue around race or sexism or misogyny or any of these things can come up in the AFL, we have that kindness approach in that podcast as well to be able to talk about those issues perhaps in a way that other media in that space is not doing it. So often you'll find that there are separate agendas for each job that you're doing, and yet there are overlapping values within them. And certainly this downtime during the pandemic made me think about it constantly. You know, when you come back, what is it that you want to say? When you come back, what style of comedy do you want to do? Part of the reason that I'm not doing a brand new show this year was I'm not sure 100% what it is that I have to say and how I want to say it. The reason I've gone back to Illegal, which is an older show, is it's a self-contained story that exists in a moment of time. So the real world doesn't need to intrude in it. I feel incredibly comfortable with at the moment, recreating an old moment or, you know, being in just in the, the right there moment, but being able to step back from what we're going through to reflect on it in a way so that I can say what I want to say. I feel like we're still too much in the middle of it. It's not quite done yet for me to be able to step back and really know what it is that I want to say going forward. I really admire that ability to say I'm going to wait because I feel like the world is full of hot and not so hot takes on COVID and its impacts and its lasting impacts before many of us have had a moment outside the vulnerability and the trauma and the weirdness of the last 
12 to 14 months to actually kind of work through it and figure out how we feel about it. Tell us about this show, this not-so-new show, without spoiling We're Legal. I know it's about you being arrested on a plane. So I went to Wagga Wagga in 2018 and I was, this doesn't spoil anything from the show, you can look it up. Um, I was arrested on the way. It turns out I was cleared of everything, but I tell the story of everything that happened in that weekend. In fact, the entire show exists within 36 hours from the minute that I left Sydney to go to Wagga Wagga until midnight the next night when I arrived back in Sydney. The interesting thing about it is when I first did it, I was only six months away from all of this happening. So I was very much every night going out there and still almost reliving the experience every night when I did it on stage because part of the way that I've constructed the show is I don't really tell the show with the future knowledge of what happens. What I try to give people is the experience of it happening and what I was thinking at the time when things were happening. But then I think as I've had distance from the show and I've been able to revisit it to put it back on and I've done it a few times now, what I find is I understand the show more. There was parts of the show that I obviously instinctively understood what I was doing, but I didn't intellectually understand what I was doing. It was all there on the paper, but it took me to go away from it a while and then come back and revisit it to go, oh, that's why you're saying that, because of this. And that's why this links to that. And I'd never really necessarily seen some of those patterns in the show. So it's been an incredible process to go back now that I have some distance from the event and I've fully reconciled it. I think probably when I was first doing it, I was still, you know, slightly suffering from a little bit of PTSD around the whole incident and then going on stage every night and reliving it probably wasn't helping me work through that. Do you have a philosophy in life? Oh, there's a little, uh, like a metal thing on my table in front of me that says, it's as close as I get to a um, uh, inspirational quote on my wall, you know, a little crocheted pillow. But it says, uh, what would you attempt to do if you knew you could not fail? And I think that so often in life we don't do the things that we truly want to do. We do a watered-down version of them because we're scared of failure or we're told that it will work better if you do it like this. I'll give you a really simple example but that we could extrapolate on. Philosophy is often a two-hour podcast. Now, anyone who works in broadcasting, anyone who's researched, um, you know, how long podcasts should go for will tell you 20 minutes. Not a good 40 idea. Minutes. But it's a pretty popular show. You know, I I would argue that the reason it's a popular show, the reason that people connect with it is because it is two hours long. Maybe not that they listen to all two hours, but that I sit down and have a two-hour conversation with somebody and that enables me to get to that moment within those two hours that you can't necessarily get to in 20 minutes of conversation. So sometimes you've got to think less about whether it will be successful and you've just got to think about what is it that I really want to do. Listeners of Philosophy will know that I ask that question in a little bit of tongue-in-cheek because it is a question you ask all of your guests. One of the other questions you always ask on Philosophy is you ask your guests to introduce themselves. You ask them who they are. 
And I want to ask, how do you define yourself? Do you define yourself in relation to the people around you? Do you define yourself by the job that you do or you're doing at the time? How do you answer that question? I look. I mean, if I if I if I were to answer the question, I would answer it the way that most people answer it, which is by what you do, because so often we look at the way we're valued by society by what we do, you know, what we contribute to other people. And there is no doubt when it comes to what I contribute to other people in a broad sense that the thing that defines me is that I'm a comedian. I'm a stand-up comedian. That's that is my DNA. That is my raison d'être. That is why people are interested in me and my life and help me pay my bills. It's what pays my mortgage. It's what's given me the life that I am. So the idea that I am in any other way valuable to society, I'm absolutely useless. I'm eating day one of the zombie apocalypse, you know, like I've got bad hips. I can't get away from anybody. I can't do manual labor. I am terribly uncoordinated. I don't have any transferable skills other than being a comedian. So hopefully I have a bunch of friends who, you know, would value my contribution to our friendships externally to what it is that I do for a living. But yes, I I like most people probably define who, who I am as a human being by what I contribute to society. Will, thank you so much for joining us on The Weekend Briefing. <laughs> my pleasure. Will Anderson is touring nationally right now with his show, Will Legal, and Tate is going to have all the details for you in just a moment during the Weekend List. Welcome to the Weekend List and welcome to Tate McGregor. Tate, let's start with Will Anderson. Where can we catch Will Eagle? Well, he's going to be at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. As he said, tickets are on sale now and runs from the 6th of April through to the 18th of April. So make sure you buy those because it sounds like one hell of a ride. It's also a little bit nostalgic, right? This is the show that Will and a whole bunch of comedians did not get to do last year because of COVID. So let's get out there and, you know, give him some Support some comedy. Jamila, what have you been up to this week? What are you vibing with? I have just endorsed a new book called Emotional Female by Penguin. And the author is a young woman called Yumiko Kadota. Yumiko was a really gifted young medical student. She was the top of her class and she was very much on her way to becoming an amazing plastic and reconstructive surgeon. She studied for 14 years before she threw in the towel. She said that her life was too much. It revolved around work. She completely burned out. She found medical school and the medical industry sexist and racist, and she walked away. It is quite the book and a really compelling, revealing read. What a tough industry. I want to lighten it up with an EP that's just been released yesterday. It's a self-titled debut EP by Indigenous artist Budgera. He's a 17-year-old Budgelong guy, and he's being mentored by Matt Corby. So if you're a fan of Matt, I 100% believe you'll love this up-and-coming artist. That's it from us for another week. Make sure that you head right now to wherever you get your podcasts, rate us, subscribe, maybe even leave a lovely little review. It helps more people hear about The Briefing and The Weekend Briefing. We'll be back on Monday morning with Tom and Annika to get the latest news in your headphones. 
listener.